This is Matthew 6. I'm going to start in verse 7, verses 7 through 15. He introduces this prayer in verse 7. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Y'all, we believe that this is God's word, which means it's perfect and holy and authoritative And it has use and value in our lives. Let's pray and ask for his blessing on it as we look at it this evening. Lord God, you are wise and good. And you've given us this word so that we might know you. So that we might know how to know you more. You've not left us in the darkness, but you've shined a light upon us and called us with your voice to yourself. I pray that as we look at this passage and we we examine this prayer and we We ask questions about what it means for us, what it tells us about you and and how we ought to implement it in our lives, that you would show us grace and mercy, that you would give comfort to our weary souls, that you give peace to those who are stressed and anxious, that you would give encouragement to those who are discouraged, and that you would give spiritual food to those who feel weak and hungry and empty inside. I pray that you would send your spirit upon all of us to help us understand this passage, and especially, God, that you would put your spirit upon me to enable me to talk about these things in a way that is good and true and helpful. Lord, I thank you for each one of these students and and the sacrifice that they've made to come and, and be here tonight. I pray that you would help us as we study this passage. It's in your son's name. Amen. My favorite book series and favorite movie series is The Lord of the Rings. And uh, there's this moment in the first book, first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, when uh, Frodo and his friends have made it, after being pursued by the, the Nazgul, the Ring Wraiths, through the wilderness to the village of Bree to the end of the Prancing Pony. And they get to Bree, and they're expecting to find Gandalf there, and he is not there. Their friend Gandalf, who's also you know this wizard, um, forgive me if I kind of go into too much detail. Uh, they, they find themselves waiting, waiting for uh, their friend who they're supposed to meet with, and they encounter, they notice this strange man who's sitting in the corner. He's filthy, he's smoking a pipe, he's kind of wearing these wilderness leathers, and uh, they ask the barkeep, hey, who's, who's that guy? He's like kind of staring at us. It's kind of weird. He asks the tavern keeper who this stranger is, and, and he replies, oh, he's one of those rangers. He's a dangerous person. They're dangerous folk. You know, what, what his real name is, I've never heard, but around here, his name's Strider. His name's Strider. And so, you know, immediately they have this perception of him as like, he is dangerous. He's maybe a bad guy, maybe a bandit, some kind of a wandering vagabond or a ruffian. But of course, later, Frodo learns his true character. He's not a wanderer or a criminal, but he's a king. He's, it's Aragorn. Strider's real name is Aragorn. 
and they become friends, and Aragorn spends a lot of time leading them through the wilderness, saving them from different bad situations. And as they spend time together and communicate and relate, their relationship grows, and Frodo comes to understand Aragorn's true nature, which is one of courage and kindness and nobility. The way that they communicated, the, just spending time together, revealed Aragorn's true character. He was not just some wandering bandit. He was a king. What reveals someone's character to you? What is it that reveals people's character? How do you know someone? Spending time with them, talking to them. Uh, the question might be asked, what is it that reveals God's character to us? Right? Because, because our hearts are sinful, and because we are just humans with, with no sort of supernatural special abilities, there are limitations in our sin nature to the degree to which we can know God apart from God's revealing himself to us. Because of our sin, our, our human weakness, our limitation, and our moral and intellectual impairment that, because, that comes from sin, we cannot see God. Not in the same way that, that at least that we can see each other. God is a spirit. He's invisible. And the Bible says in various places that Jesus reveals God to us. Of course, he is God in the flesh, but he also reveals things about God's character, his will. And in this passage, Jesus instructs us to pray. He says that we should pray, and he also tells us how we should pray, which shows us something about the way that our relationship with God is supposed to be which in turn shows us something about God and his character. So if you just get one thing from tonight, my main point is that uh, the way that Jesus instructs us, instructs you to pray, reveals something about God's character to us. There's two aspects of this, two things that uh, Jesus' instructions on prayer should provoke in us that, that reveal something about God. The first is that we should be dependent because God answers prayer. God is a God who provides. And so we should be dependent, we should feel dependent, we should be willing to be dependent upon God. And the second is, because God is merciful, we also should be merciful. Because God's willing to forgive, that we also should be willing to forgive. So we should be dependent, and we should be merciful. Jesus starts this teaching in verse 7. I kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but I wanted to kind of rewind a little bit because this is how Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer. He starts out by reminding us that God knows exactly what we need before we ask him. You don't need to, to say the right words. You don't need to have the exact right sort of magical order or eloquent vocabulary. You don't need to be in the, the exact right emotional state for God to hear you. He says, you know, uh, don't be like those people, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need before you ask him for it. Which implies that, that God wants us to ask him things because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. Right? You don't have to pray the exact right things for God to be able to give you the right things. And so then Jesus goes and gives an example. He says, pray then like this. God already knows the things that you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and, and so on and so forth. A form prayer, a template, I guess you could say. This is, a, this is a template for Christians, not just that we should kind of mindlessly repeat it, um, but that this gives us uh, sort of some handles to hold on to as we kind of are going through prayer and trying to figure out, okay, what exactly do we need to pray for? 
It can help us as a guide to know how to pray and to know what to pray for. And all of these words highlight our dependence on God. In some ways, this prayer, this, these, these four verses here, it's kind of like an A to Z of prayer requests. It's everything that you might imagine is included under these six things that Jesus says that we should ask for. There's six petitions, or, or you know, kind of five with two sort of split up. Um, and, and there's basically, you know, five main things that we are supposed to pray for. We're supposed to pray for our worship. We're supposed to pray for God's mission. We're supposed to pray for our provision. We're supposed to ask for forgiveness. And we're supposed to pray for our sanctification or growth as Christians. Five things. It's it's to this father, um, right? Jesus starts off by saying that you're supposed to pray like this, our father. You know, start by addressing God as father. We're not praying as lowly peasants going to this king or an emperor, but we're praying as children approaching our loving, generous dad. Addressing God as our father seems normal to you, maybe, especially if, like, you were raised in the church. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, Christians have been calling God father for 2,000 years, and there's a sense in which, yeah, that's that's true. But this would have been extraordinary to first century years. And it's extraordinary in any society that has not been shaped by Christianity. It's extraordinary to any worldview that believes in some sort of higher power that is not the Bible, that is not Christianity, that doesn't follow Jesus, right? Think about it. The God of the universe who created all things out of nothing decided to enter into this world so that he could adopt you as a son, as a daughter, so that you could call him father, he calls you his children with all of the tender love and care, which, which is implied by that term. Right? Not just a father in an earthly sense. We've seen on in TV and movies, and some of us sadly in our own lives, the wreckage and damage that a sinful, wicked father can bring. There are plenty of unkind or imperfect or absent fathers on earth. But the type of father that God is is an infinitely good and perfect father. The type of father that, in a sense, all of those imperfect fathers, the reason that it hurts so much is because we know that that we're supposed to have a good father like God. God is our father. He's not our boss. He's not some sort of mean taskmaster. And so when we go to him, we are bringing our desires, our needs to some someone who wants to hear us and who wants to bless us and answer us. Our father in heaven. The six petitions... Um, right, they cover those categories. The first is worship. That's what he says when he says, hallowed be your name. Let, let your name be praised. Let your name be glorified. God invites us to pray that he would be worshipped. And that might seem weird at first glance. But, but what this is saying is that God is inviting us to pray, not only expressing our love and gratitude to him, but also praying that our worship would be acceptable to him. We all pray and worship imperfectly. We all worship with, with hearts that are easily distracted and that are, are twisted and, and stained with sin. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, God comes to us and helps us to worship him rightly. And this isn't because God gets something out of our worship, but rather because Jesus is saying a flourishing person is someone who worships God. A flourishing person is a worshiping person. One way you can think about it is a vine that thrives and flourishes is one that is connected vibrantly to the rest of the vine. In this metaphor, worship is the posture of a person who is connected to God. God invites us to pray for worship, for our worship, for worship of God. 
Secondly, he, he invites us to pray for God's mission, that the church would grow, that the lost people who don't know God, who don't have the hope of salvation, who don't know Jesus, would hear the gospel, that their hearts would be changed, that God's kingdom would come in their hearts, in our cities, in our country, in this world, and that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is true on both macro and micro levels, a big thing in the world, praying that, that peace would reign between nation and nation, but also praying that you know, God's will would be done, that you would have the wisdom to know what career to choose, that you would get the job that you want, that you would be able to provide for yourself, that his will would be done in, in, in the various decisions that you all have to make about the directions that you're going in life. Right? It's relevant for God's mission and plan for your life as well. God invites us to pray that his will would be done in our lives, that his mission would be accomplished. Right? So what that looks like is praying that God would give you the wisdom to make those decisions, that the right doors would open, and that he would pray to give you the boldness to step through those doors. He will give you the right things to accomplish his purpose in your life. And then the next step is to, to go after those things and trust that God is generous and loving and he's not mean or stingy or cruel, knowing that that his definition of good is the highest and best definition of good. Thirdly, Jesus invites us to ask God for our basic needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That's pretty minor. Uh, sometimes I talk to students who are like, you know, is it really okay for me to pray for a parking spot? I mean, bread is just as ordinary as a parking spot, as a, a pop quiz, as anything else that you might imagine that is just your, like your basic needs. Nothing is beneath God's care or attention in your lives. Whether it's something that's as big as a house or a job, or it's something that is, that is little, God invites us to pray for those things and to depend upon him. And I want you all to also see that that's not mutually exclusive with our efforts. Jesus invites us to pray for our daily bread, and yet the way that the disciples mostly get their daily bread is by like going and working and buying it. The disciples were all fishermen, and so they, they likely at times prayed that the Lord would provide them with food, and then they went and fished. There's a role that we play as well in God's answering our prayers. Sometimes he calls us to go and to work, and sometimes he just blesses us without our really having a hand in it. We're to chase the things that we want or even need, but go after them holding those goals loosely and ultimately trusting in God to provide for us. So there's worship, mission, provision, Next is forgiveness. Jesus invites us to both ask forgiveness for our sins or debts or trespasses, depending on your translation, and to ask for God's help in forgiving others. And he's, he's pointing out this connection. There's a connection. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we have also sinned those who sin against us. Right? He's pointing out there's a connection. If you've received the grace of God, you are willing to forgive others. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in my second point. But, but for now, I just want to point out that I think that in our world today, there is a problem uh, where we don't know what to do with guilt. We don't know what to do with injustice. We don't know what to do with, with the shame that comes from hurting other people and sinning against God, ourselves, and others. Right? That's why people are so angry. People desire justice, and they don't see it happening. We see injustice in the world or sin in our lives or in the lives of others, and we want justice, whether for the oppressed or for ourselves or for, for minorities or some other category. And one of two things happens. One is that we consider ourselves innocent. We forget that we're also sinners, and we get angry at those bad people out there 
we get angry at, oh, those people who are doing bad things out in the world somewhere, and we get mad at them. And we forget that we're sinners too, that we're under God's wrath apart from Christ. Or secondly, deep down we recognize our guilt and we get angry and defensive and, and sort of get mad at anyone who might challenge or make us feel even the slightest bit guilty. Those are kind of the two options apart from Jesus. And Jesus is saying is that there is another way in Christ. The blood of Christ was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And if we ask God for forgiveness, if we turn from our sins and, and turn to him, that God will grant that forgiveness. He is merciful. Finally, Jesus also invites us to pray for our growth and sanctification, for, for our uh, maturing and growing in the Christian life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus knows that the Christian life is hard, that we are prone to fall into old ways of thinking and behaving. Uh, people in a previous generation maybe called it backsliding, quote-unquote. We are utterly dependent in every area of life. Jesus didn't save you so that you could stand on your own. He saved you so that you could live in connection and fellowship with and under the support and love that God has for his people. In other words, he saved you to be a plant, to be like a branch coming off of a tree, to bear fruit. But the branch is completely connected to and dependent upon the trunk of the tree. Right? Think about it. If that branch gets broken off, it can't do anything but wither and die. And if a branch is broken off from the tree, you wouldn't say, man, what a like terrible, stupid branch. It's not bearing fruit. No, the branch is dead. You need in your life to be vitally connected to God. We cannot do anything apart from God's grace. We are utterly dependent. And so if that's true, then you ought to lean into your dependence. Like one application of this passage is to use this prayer for yourselves. Make this prayer your own. Pray these things like personally for yourself. Use this as a template. Say, you know, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then list under that ways that you want help, either kind of making his name great or ways that you think already that his name deserves praise, that, that God deserves praise, and so on and so forth with each of these categories, worship, mission, provision, forgiveness, growth and sanctification. Use this prayer for yourself. Take Jesus' invitation to pray in this manner seriously. And secondly, own your dependence upon God. Like, you can't do it on your own. You can't. No matter how strong you think you are, no matter how competent you think you are, no matter how uh, self-sufficient you feel like you are, you can't do it. And furthermore, God loves to provide for your needs. Go to him in prayer. Take your wants, your needs, your desires to him. He's demonstrated historically that, that he has already dealt with your greatest need. Your guilt for sin. Jesus came. God sent his son Jesus who speaks these exact words to take away the guilt and penalty for sin. And he did that by living the life that we should have lived. Right? He, he obeys God's law at every point. And he died on the cross for our sins to take the punishment that we deserved. Right? And, and if you believe in him, you have eternal life even now. Like you have abundant life in Jesus. Not just access to heaven, but abundant and vibrant life of joy and hope now because God has loved you and he has shown you grace and mercy. And that should affect a change in our hearts as well. Which brings me to my second point, that, that we should be merciful because God is merciful. He says this in verses 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
This other aspect of prayer that Jesus is talking about is undergirding everything that we've talked about. Um, we don't pray as people who just kind of walked in off the street and like met God for the first time. We're not strangers to God when we pray, if you believe in Jesus. You're not a stranger to God. We're not people who, who stand before God on our own merit when we offer prayers. We're not handing our resume to God and saying, hey, God, I want some things. Here's my resume. Can you give them to me? Our prayers aren't heard because they're good. Our prayers aren't heard because we're good. Our prayers aren't heard because we're eloquent or because our pleas are heartfelt. God hears our prayers and forgives our sins because of Jesus. We pray and make requests known to God only as forgiven people clothed and handed, gifted the righteous record of Jesus. And the truth is, right, like that our sins separate us from God. Right? The, the problem, even in the beginning in the garden, was that Adam and Eve wanted to be independent. They wanted the promise that uh, they, they were lied to was, if you take the apple, if you break God's law, you can be like God without having to know God, without being in relationship with God. And they said, yeah, that sounds good. I don't want to depend on anyone. I want to be my own ruler, be my own person. That was the first sin, motivated out of a desire to be powerful and self-sufficient like God without having to acknowledge him or relate to him as God. And the very act of prayer, the very act of saying, God, help me, completely reverses this. It's an act of dependence. It's a demonstration of our need. Dependence upon and relationship with God, as opposed to independence from and being enemies with God. And so the only way that our prayers can actually be heard is by renouncing that rebellion against God, saying, God, I, like, I, I need you. I want to be in relationship with you. And he is merciful and kind to respond to those kinds of prayers. No matter what you've done, no matter what you are doing, no matter what you might do in the future, he is faithful and just to forgive us because Jesus died for us. right? And, and because that's true, Jesus is saying, you should also forgive others their sins too. Like since if you are forgiven, if you are forgiven, you must forgive other people. Because if you haven't been, for, if you have not, if you're not willing to forgive, excuse me, then, you know, what does that say about whether or not you've received that forgiveness? He's not saying that in order to be forgiven, you must first forgive as a work, as an act of righteousness, which sort of manipulates God to bless you. Instead, he's saying that since we receive the forgiveness of God by grace through faith in Jesus, which the Bible, you know, actually describes as a gift, faith, belief in Jesus is a gift. Um, he's saying that people who are truly forgiven, who've really experienced the forgiveness of God and understand his grace, the mark and evidence of truly having received that grace is that they are willing to forgive others too. Forgiven people forgive others. It's, it's just, it, it, the Bible holds it as a fact. It's true. And if you are not willing to forgive, if you... Uh, if your response to maybe someone rubbing you the wrong way or someone saying something unkind to you, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to like never get hurt or never get angry or never respond to people in, in um, kind of a, a defensive way, if, especially if someone's being particularly unkind. But if you are unwilling to forgive, if you are just hoping, in, if you're just wanting to like cling to bitterness and make that person really pay, then you have to ask yourself, okay, have, has, do I really believe that God has forgiven me? Do I really believe that God has shown me grace? What, why is it that people for, refuse to forgive? Because 
people believe that they are alone in the world, that, that if they don't think make things right, that nobody will. And the gospel says that that's not true, that in Christ we are rich beyond imaginings. We're so rich that, that nothing in this life can actually hurt us in a way that matters. In Christ we are connected to God through the Spirit and to all Christians throughout time and space. In Jesus, we have a Savior, we have an advocate who will make all things new and right, who will heal every wound in the end, and honestly, who will heal many things here and now, according to his plan, according to his will, maybe not everything, but many things. If you believe in Jesus, you have access to a wealth of riches that is deeper and wider and broader than you could ever imagine. And if you are that wealthy, if you have those riches such that that you can be utterly confident no matter what happens to you, then why wouldn't you forgive? makes me think of in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry, uh, kind of at the very beginning, Harry has just found out he's not just an ordinary person. He's not a, not a muggle. He's a wizard. He's an heir to and, and a member of this fantastical world. He's a wizard. And he's also discovered that he's not a poor, destitute orphan that his parents actually left him an enormous sum of money. He goes to Gringotts Bank and he gets out the money and he's able to buy his school supplies and he still has a ton left over. And he gets onto the train to Hogwarts flush with cash. And uh, he makes his first friend, Ron Weasley, and there, uh, this woman comes by who is selling uh, candy and sweets from a trolley. And Harry's like, man, I've never been able to have candy before. I've, I've always been poor up till this moment. And now I have a friend and I have money. And uh, let's just, like, you know, go crazy with it. He's flush with cash. He says, we'll take the lot. And they buy, like, every piece of candy on the trolley, and he shares it with his friend. Um, right? Harry had realized that he was rich. He realized that he was wealthy. And he allowed the reality of those riches to impact his life. Like, the evidence of his riches flowed out of him in his blessing of his friend with, I mean, it's kind of a silly example, but with this candy, with these desserts that, that they wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise, that he had never tasted before, right? You also have received riches beyond measure, beyond your imagining, if you believe in Jesus. And what that means is that 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 you, uh, if, if, if you really receive that, if you allow that to hit you, then it will flow out from you. Those riches will flow out from you in forgiveness for others, in showing mercy to other people. And if you are not willing to show mercy to other people, then I invite you to look at yourself. You know, take really take stock. Do you think that God's for you? Do you think that God has given you riches in the spirit? Do you think that he has eternal life for you? Just think about it. And if your answer is like, no, he's offering those things to you. Ask him for it. God is faithful and just to show his love to repentant sinners like you and me. If this is true, if, if you want to grow in your prayer life, if you want to grow in these things, grow in mercy, if you want to grow in your ability to forgive, if you feel angry and bitter or cold and cynical, one of the ways to grow in these things is to look to Jesus, right? Like the way that you grow in those areas is looking at the riches that you have. The riches in Jesus that you have becoming more real in your heart, becoming more real in your lived experience. Right? Look at God and see him as merciful and forgiving. And, and even like pray, ask him to show you these things. That's part of why Jesus invites us to pray, hallowed be your name, so that we understand these things about what God has done for us in Christ. 
Look at John, look at God and see him as merciful and forgiving. Right? If if you turn from your sins to Jesus, the Bible says that he has removed your sins as far away from you as the east is from the west. And we hear that and sometimes we're tempted to just be like, okay, like that's really far away. But think about that. Those are two cardinal directions. The east, the, the ultimate infinite east. I don't know why I'm going this way. I don't know if that's east. The ultimate infinite east and the ultimate infinite west will never touch. They will never touch. If you're on a flat plane and they're going off forever, they will never intersect. As far as the east is from the west, they will, they're forever separated from you. Your sins are forever separated from you, never to meet you again. Often in infinitely opposite directions. And also what it means is that when God looks at your sins, you know, if, if you're in Jesus, he's removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. When he looks at your sins, he has to turn and look at them, and he's not facing you. And when he turns to look at you, your sins are not in view whatsoever. He has removed them from you because he's put them upon Jesus. Your sins cannot burden you anymore. The guilt and the shame are gone forever. This is true for everyone who looks to Jesus for salvation. And he invites all of us to come to to remember that, to remember that it's true for us. I need to remember that more too. Like, I, I forget that all the time, and I'm less than forgiving. I, I'm less than blessing. I do not always let my riches in Jesus flow forth and bless the people around me. And when I don't do that, it's because I've forgotten what he's done. When you praise a Christian, you praise a forgiven, redeemed child of God, knowing that your heavenly Father loves you. These things that God has commanded us to pray— Jesus reveals God's loving face to us in them. These are, these are not just commands for us to pray these things. They're invitations. And the only reason that Jesus would invite us to pray them is because he knows that the Father delights in answering these kinds of prayers. He loves you all very, very much. And I would invite for you all to pray and to receive him and to receive this love, to make your requests and desires known to him, and to remember that God has shown mercy on you. Let's pray. Father, you are merciful and mighty, showing steadfast love, patient love to people who don't deserve it. Lord, you uh, have come near to us. You sent your son to live as a person, live as a human, to die on the cross for our sins. And you raised him from the dead to be the first fruits of the resurrection that we also have a part in if we are in him. I pray that you would help us to learn to pray in ways that, that glorify you, but Lord, that also are good for our hearts, that will lead us into flourishing and thriving. And Lord, in all things, I pray that you would remind us of the riches of your grace that you have poured out upon us in your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.